Hello and welcome to Falmouth Vineyard's audio podcast. We're really grateful that you're joining us today. Our vision is to see Cornwall coming alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. To find out more about who we are or how to connect with us, visit falmouthvineyard.org. We'd love to hear from you. We are really excited to have John and Ellie Mumford come down all the way from cream first land. So, uh, uh, there we go. So I got, anyway, and I'm not even going to distract them with that. Um, they are now the global coordinators of Vineyard Global. Coordinators of Vineyard Global. So, um, and I think... It's funny, isn't it, when you go to conferences and stuff and see John Nelly up the front and you're like, wow, they're incredible speakers and, oh my goodness, this ministry time is so powerful. And you meet them, you're like, they're incredible people and their personalities and their character is so powerful. And it's just a really lovely thing when you meet someone and who they are on the stage and what they do in front of the cameras and the lights and all the screens and everything else is exactly who they are when you bump into them for coffee. And so we're super excited, not just... Um, that they would come down, all the way down to sunny Cornwall. Thank you, Lord, that the weather is good this weekend. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, it's always like this. It's always like this. It's always, the sea is always warm. Hot. No, I wouldn't go that far. Mild. Um, and so we're so thankful. So thank you so much for coming down. So John is going to be speaking to us this morning. Would you come up? Would it be okay to... Oh, Ellie, oh go on. I'm just going to give you a mic. So I, you just go. You just go. Just, uh, just a little bit, just to say, on behalf of my husband and me, <laughs> that sounds like the old queen sounded, um, that we're totally, totally delighted to come. We are now West Country people, okay? We, we, have, we have bought into the land of cream, whichever way you do it. And we came down to um, our son's farm near Exeter during COVID, and we never left. We were the longest standing squatters in the history of Squatterdom. And we have now converted a little barn on the land, and that's where we live. And we're loving it. And we can get anywhere we want to just as easily as we ever did. And in fact, we can get to Cornwall far more quickly. So we're thrilled to be here. And, you know, just walking through in here this morning, I got such a buzz. And I thought, this feels like a vineyard. It's so many people and so many different sorts of people and children squealing and PA doing funny things. This just sounds exactly like the vineyard we know and love. All donuts. I mean, what more? Just a warm sea. It's just lovely. And just very quickly... And pastors that'll lie to you as soon as they look at you, yeah, things like that. But just very quickly, we've recently, John and I, because of this global thing, we've been around the world a little bit. And we did a big trip before Christmas, and we went to New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, which sounds exotic, but was crippling. I mean, it was three conferences back to back. But why I'm telling you was, wherever we went, we met the local church, the local vineyard doing what the local vineyard does. And in one vineyard, we were greeted by Maori, and they were singing in Maori, and the ministry was led by children. I thought, this is the vineyard. And then we went to South Africa, and I got to pray for a pastor, who, a, a black pastor who had just been held up at um, gunpoint, and he didn't know what to do, and he had guns on right and left of him and behind him, and he dropped down. I mean, God gave him wisdom. He dropped down as if to look for money and checked in his car. Yeah, 
thank you, keep going if I miss anything. <laughs> and he was, he just got ready and he put his foot on the accelerator, checked the ignition, and they said, hurry up. And he said, I, I'm just getting something done. And he just floored it so fast that the fellas either side shot at each other. The chaps at the back were shooting after him. And he literally escaped with his life and was, of course, traumatized. And we got to pray for him. But what I'm telling you is it's is a local church, people. And it felt the same going in there as it feels coming in here. We once went to Brazil, and we went deep into the forest where the churches have no electricity, no roads, nothing. We went by boat, and there was a little group of people sitting on plastic chairs round a tree, singing in Portuguese, come, now is the time to worship. I thought, God, you have always intended that the vineyard should be as it is. We love worship, we love each other, we love the power of the Holy Spirit, we love the scriptures, and we do it wherever we find ourselves. And just coming in, I thought to myself this morning during worship, wouldn't it be great to multiply what you've got here over and over and over around the west of England? Because we need Jesus more than we need anything else in every part of our land. And now you can do it. Can I use this fan? I dropped it. Thank you very much. I have... I am notorious for dropping these things, <laughs> and they're rather expensive. If you're trying to drop, juggle a Bible and notes and a mic, always in trouble. I'm giving it up. Well, good morning. Eleanor has already said it, but let me echo it. It is a delight to be here. We've heard all about you, of course. And uh, so this is marvelous. And to see some, some intruders from the Truro Vineyard, I understand. <laughs> I don't know. You're very brave coming to Falmouth. And it's very nice to see you all. So thank you for having us. If you have a Bible within reach, would you like to, or a digital version of it, would you like to turn to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians? First Corinthians, if you, it's difficult to find, so look in the index. But first Corinthians. Chapter 1, and I'm going to read a bit of, starting at verse 18. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where are the wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
But since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Let me just pause for a minute, just give you a bit of context. Um, in the culture that, of Corinth at the time, that Paul was writing to them, two things, a bit like our culture, two things were highly prized in the city and in the culture. One was uh, wisdom, and the other was power. Wisdom and power, things that were highly prized. So wisdom was the buzzword. Uh, um, it, was, it was cool, it was respectable to be intellectually sound and wise. And sort of the, the converse, the opposite, was that they were contemptuous of, in their culture of people who they thought were, they perceived them as foolish, those who weren't wise. And as well, <clears throat> in that time, as well as valuing wisdom, they also valued power. And despi again, despised the opposite. So weakness was something that was contemptuous in their thinking. So in the ancient world, you, you probably know this, anything that was weak, was perceived as weak, was, 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 was despicable. For that reason, women were perceived as weak and therefore were despised. Slaves were despised. Dis people with disabilities were despised. Cowards were despised. Weaklings, failures. Anyone who was weak was despised. And, and so um, that thinking began to creep into the church from the culture around it. Began to seep into the church. So Paul is writing this letter. He'd visited there several times. <coughs> Paul is now writing to correct them. And you'll see that he plays around with wisdom and foolishness and power and weakness in order to realign, to recalibrate their thinking in the church. Okay, does that make sense? Or nod politely, even if it doesn't. So go back to the end of um, verse 21. God was pleased with the foolishness was what was preaching to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom. So what he's basically saying is Jews demand signs. Jews are saying, in that culture, were saying, show me, show me. Whereas the Greeks were looking for wisdom. The Greeks, on the other hand, were saying, prove it. Now, have you ever come across anybody, any of your friends who aren't followers of Jesus, saying something, you know, prove it or show me? Yes? So there's nothing, else. There's nothing new under the sun. But, he says, look at that beginning of verse 24, but those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see what, how he's correcting. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you called. So, in other words, he's saying to them, just rewind in your mind, memory. Just go back to when you first met Jesus, when you were called, as he describes it. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But again, you see, he hits that word, but. Not many of you were this, but, by contrast, God 
chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lonely things of this world and the despised things. He chose those. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And then just jump very quickly to chapter 2. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, and this is talking about his visit, Paul's visit to Corinth. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching, says Paul, were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, I didn't play the Corinthian game. Quite the contrary, he said, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, the issue, what was going on in the church in Corinth at the time, the people were saying, what sort of image do we want to present to the, to the outside the church, to the people of the city? And they came to the conclusion that Paul had got it wrong. They were saying, in effect, let's copy the culture. Let's present Christianity uh, as being very wise and very cool and very powerful. That's how we'll present Christianity because that will appeal to the, the people of our city. So let's market Christianity as wise and strong, full of wise and powerful people. And then they said, that'll attract people in. And they went on to say, so when Paul was here and he talked about Jesus, he got it hopelessly wrong. So they were, they were causing division in the church because they were criticizing Paul behind his back and causing trouble. So they were saying, look, from, the, from a sort of PR point of view, Christianity's got it wrong. Paul got it wrong. The wrong image in advertising terms. It's an appalling blunder, a public relations disaster. In marketing terms, it's a nightmare. Do you know the, do you know, do you know the definition of advertising? Advertising may be described as the science of arresting human intelligence long enough to extract money from it. <laughs> and the, 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 so the Corinthians were in effect saying Paul got it hopelessly wrong. He sold Christianity. He marketed Christianity in the wrong way. And we are, we're now going to do it in the right way. Hence the super apostles and all that business. You may have heard. So Paul writes back to them and says, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I didn't get this wrong. And he turns all their arrogance and their self-assertiveness completely on its head. And he invites his readers to, to look at the product and the sales force. Those two things, the product and the sales force that, is, that he deployed. So two things. First, in, Paul's point is, in the eyes of the world, Christianity seems to present, first of all, a weak, foolish message. A weak, foolish message. Look at verse 18. For the message of the cross, so the description of the cross, which is his shorthand for saying what happened when Jesus died on the cross, 
is foolishness to those who are perishing. But, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Well, you say, why, why foolishness? Why does he describe it as foolishness? Why would they see it as foolish? I'll tell you, the reason they found it foolish was for them to be told by Paul that if you want to find out the truth about God at its most profound, the place you look is a hill outside a middle-sized city in the Roman Empire called Jerusalem. And that hill actually doubles as both um, a recycling center and a place of execution. It's a, a city dump. And Paul is, Paul is saying to them, I mean, just think about it for a moment. Imagine this was a stage and there were curtains. And you came in, the curtains were shut. And then there was going to be a performance of, I don't know, Romeo and Juliet. He was going to do Joe. He was going to do Romeo, <laughs> And you were sitting there waiting. It's a little bit like regarding the world and the entire universe from God's point of view. And, and, and by the way, God was behind the curtain. The curtains were shut. Nobody knew anything about God unless he chose to reveal himself. And he drew the curtain back a little bit with his creation. You want to know what God is? I mean, the Psalms are full of it. Look at the wonders of the heaven and look at the wonders of Cornwall. You say there's a wonderful God. But that didn't quite get the message to the human race. So they, he opened the curtain a bit more when he formed the children of Israel. That didn't do it. So he opened it a bit more and sent the prophets in another phase. And then he opened it a bit more and so on and so on. Finally, when Jesus was sent to this earth, God flung the curtains way back so that God was perfectly revealed in the God of heaven was revealed perfectly in the person of Jesus. But you say, well, at what point in Jesus' life and existence was the, were the curtains flung back the widest? And you get the astonishing, almost obscene, absult, ins, almost insulting, that it was at a point of crucifixion. That's where God was most perfectly revealed. Think of it. The God of heaven would reveal himself most perfectly at that bloody, messy scene of torture and execution. And it was, it was designed by the Romans to be the worst of all deaths because it combined both torture and death. Think the blood, the stench, the cursing, the flies, the, 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 the mess... I mean, the obscenity of it that would make anybody vomit. That's where God most perfectly revealed himself. Of course people say that's daft, that's foolish. Utter nonsense. The people in Corinth were, to, to them, it, it was a, as to many of our contemporaries, it's a flat contradiction. How on earth could God reveal himself like that? It's like talking about, I don't know, boiled ice. Just doesn't compute. Makes their hair stand on end. Sets their teeth it's like running you know, your nails down a finger, a black, an old-fashioned blackboard. You don't remember those. <laughs> the idea was utterly offensive and utterly impossible. 
But, look at verse, that, this is why verse 24 is so stunning. But, that's all very perfectly understandable as a human reaction. But, look closer. God, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, it is the power of God and the wisdom in a way that we'll never fathom that Paul says, believe you me. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's greatest wisdom. God's wisdom and God's power, Paul is saying, is, is condensed, is encapsulated, is made tangible in the crucifixion. That's the point. In Christ, God has overpowered and outsmarted everyone. And how did he do it? With his lavish, overwhelming, uh, uh, um, I mean ridiculously generous grace and forgiveness. That is extraordinary. So to outsiders, it's a weak, foolish message. And to drive the point home, Paul goes on to say, you may have noticed in uh, verse, uh, verse 2 of uh, ch- chapter 2, um, he's vexed, when I came to you five years ago and I preached, that's what I modeled it on. I preached a weak message. I resolved, he says, verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he says, I resolved, I deliberately, consciously, I decided that while I was with you, I would talk about nothing but Jesus. And uh, that little phrase, um, he uses uh, God, um, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. There are some, you'll, occasionally you'll go into an old church and carved up in the wood somewhere at the top, it says, you know, we preach Christ and him crucified. As if that sums up the whole of the good news. It doesn't. I mean, what about the, whatever happened to the resurrection? <laughs> Did you know? We also preach that, by the way. Now, what he's saying here is, when I came to you in Corinth, you imagine him scribbling his pen. As I came to you in Corinth, I was really determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ. He's just about to put his quill and pen down. And he said, oh, oh, and by the way, I mean by that a weak Jesus, him crucified which again in the Greek world was nothing more humiliating and embarrassing than being crucified. See, he's underlying the point that we have a weak Jesus. So he's not giving a potted, condensed praise of the gospel. He's just describing. So weak, foolish message. See, and... It's a question of perspective, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you uh, watched the coronation two or three weeks back, but in the Westminster Abbey, if you approach Westminster Abbey from Parliament Square, on the the first door that you see, the the north door, there's a huge, uh, you probably never noticed it, but as you go in the door underneath, there's a huge circular stone and glass window. It looks actually pretty boring. You walk, but you walk in the north door and walk down the, the sort of tramway in the middle, you know, the aisle. And then if you walk in 10, 20, 30 feet and then turn around and then look up at the window you've just come under, your eyes 
pop out of your head is the most stunning rose window with the glass, with the light behind it. And for many people, many of you here, that was your view. You dismiss Christianities for weak, foolish idiots of irrelevance. It's like the whole thing made no sense to you at all. But then you encountered him, and now you look back at the crucifixion and think, me, The same thing, but it's just from a different perspective. So a weak, foolish message, that's, that's, as it were, the product. And then the sales force. Paul talks about weak, foolish messengers. Weak, foolish message and weak, foolish messengers. Look at verses 26 onwards. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Just wind the clock back to when you first met Jesus. And he says, not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you are influential. Not many of you, look at the, 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 the adjectives he used. Some of you were fee, foolish and weak and lowly. He's not attempting to be insulting. He's just stating the truth. Not many people, you know, not many were wise, not many influential. I mean, there may be in this room, there may be professors of philosophy or PhDs in philosophy, and you're wise. Uh, and nobody's criticizing you, just statistically, there aren't many of us in that category. There are not many influential. I mean, there may be the odd town, town councillor or member of parliament or entrepreneur, I don't know, in this room right now. But again, you don't need to apologize for it. It's just that there aren't many of us. <laughs> and equally, those of noble birth. I mean, there may be the odd aristocrat. No, I shouldn't say odd. There may be the, the, the random aristocrat here. And God bless you, it's not your fault. You weren't born like it. But my point is, there aren't many of us in that category. That's all Paul is saying. Most of us were just dead ordinary. In the AD 178, which was what, roughly speaking, roughly speaking, a uh, hundred years after, only a hundred years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, which we celebrated on Thursday into heaven, a man called Celsus, who didn't like Christians, to put it mildly, wrote this, and the document has been captured and, and preserved through history. Let no cultured person draw near Christianity, he warns. None wise, none sensible. But if anyone is ignorant, if anyone is a fool, if anyone's an idiot, oh, let him or her come boldly. Goes on, of Christians, he wrote, we see them in their own houses, the most uneducated and vulgar persons. They are like a swarm of bats, or ants creeping out of their nests, and then he gets a little carried away, or frogs holding a symposium in a swamp, or a collection of worms in a lump of, well, this is an agricultural area, but decency, let's call it mud. <laughs> decency demands that I don't offend you with you know, excreta and things like that. Dung. So Christianity has never, has never had a good press. And then look at verse 27. Yet again, you get this. It's like 
don't have a symbol here, but it's like Paul is saying this and this and this and this, but he whacks a symbol as loud as he possibly can, and the thing reverberates to get everybody's attention. The same here in verse 27. But, look at this, this is beautiful, you'll love it. But God chose. You notice that? Verse 27. But God chose. And then just in case you were asleep or you missed it the first time, do you notice later on in the next verse, he says, no, sorry, say I lied to you, I just lied to you. In the same verse, he says, the second time, God chose. Look at the beginning of the next verse, God chose. Three times to drill it, to drill it in, he says God chose. In other words, he's saying it isn't an accident that it happened like this. God doesn't do accidents or coincidences. God, I said, think about it for a moment. The very fact you're in this room this morning, Paul would say, is because God chose. Now, and remember, this is before the world was even founded. Before the world was even formed, however many years ago that was, even before that, it was God's intention that you should be here this morning. God chose. The very fact that you belong to him and to his people is only because God chose. God chose you and you and you and you and you. I go on around the room, but you get bored. It's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. And most of us, because we're English, most of us' reactions, well, I don't deserve it. What about so-and-so? What about her? Yeah, I understand he'd choose him or her, but moi? You've got to be kidding. I mean, that's how most of us think. And the stunning thing is God chose you. Well, I would have chosen somebody else. Well, sure, sure, I'm sure you would. I would have done the same. But God did that wasn't how God did it or thinks it. And remember, we're talking about someone who's ultra-wise as well as being ultra-powerful. He chose you. It's stunning. It's stunning. Well, do you mean God picked on me? Yep. That's exactly what the Scriptures say again, again, again. And Paul just reminds us here. Three times, he said, just so you don't miss it, let me remind you what you know is true. God chose you. You what? I mean, it is, it is, it's, it's weird, isn't it? It's no accident. It's no random collision of zillions of molecules and boop, up you popped. It didn't work like that. No, no, God chose. God chose ordinary people. Abraham Lincoln, you know, the president of the United States after the, during the Civil War, said this once famously God must love common people because he made so many of us <laughs> and that's the truth you see God says I'm going to take ordinary people maybe people that are regarded as weak or foolish I'm going to choose ordinary people and I God am going to make them extraordinary 
I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon them so they'll become like my son and ordinary people by definition will be transformed into people who are extraordinary. Oh, we look, on the outside, we look as ordinary as ordinary. Of course. That's the delight of difference that he's created. But the agenda running underneath is ordinary people. I'm going to make extraordinary. I'm going to take nobodies. And I'm going to turn them into somebodies. And that's what he's done with every single person in this room. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your cultural background is educational background, or how long your criminal record may or may not be. I'm going to take ordinary, ordinary people and make them extraordinary. So if you ask the question from God's perspective, you know, talking about movers and shakers and people with influence, was that the phrase? Is people who are influential. If you ask the question, who are the real movers and shakers on earth at this point? God gives you the extraordinary answer, and it is extraordinary, and it takes some believing. It is the church. It is the local church. That's where you find the movers and shakers. That's where in Falmouth and in Truro you find the movers and shakers. In the Anglican church, the Baptist church, Pentecostal church, and all the others and even the lunatic fringe known as the vineyard. That's where you find the movers and shakers. Extraordinary. The press hasn't got hold of this yet. And maybe, probably, we never will, but that's not the point. Who are the movers and shakers that God has planted, shoved, dropped, parachuted in to this part of Cornwall? you lot think what God could do with you it's not about the vineyard it is about Jesus the Jesus we love and serve think what I mean just think what you know for, for all your healthy what do you call that stuff mango no what was it melon sorry melon <laughs> and for all your you know, all those high, high, highly charged calories in donuts. Do you know, we once got into... Have I got time for this? Yeah. We, once, <laughs> we once got into terrible trouble. Uh, we just... We, we started the first vineyard church in southeast London, the first vineyard church in the UK and, in, in fact, in Europe. This was 300 years ago. <laughs> um, and um, we started meeting on a Sunday... And we'd just been going for just a very few weeks. And, you know, we all feeling rather new and a bit awkward and, you know, trying to be grown up. And because we'd been with the man called John Wimber, who was the man who started the vineyard in the States, and then he'd kicked us out and sent us to London, back to London where we lived to plant church. So there we are on a Sunday morning. And we had a wonderful time. Right at the end, as we were just clearing up and leaving, a fellow came up to me. He had an American accent. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm from John Wimber's church in California, Anaheim. And I'm here on business. And he just said to me, John Wimber wouldn't do it like this. <laughs> so I froze. My, I tell you, my immediate reaction was, 
when you go back home, please, please don't tell him. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is, but please don't tell him. So very nervously and tentatively, I said to him, well, what, what is it? I'm thinking, we hadn't invented a fourth member of the Trinity. Do you know, we hadn't done anything naughty that I was aware of. What is it? And he's perfectly serious. He said, it's the donuts. <laughs> he, he's perfectly serious. Because he said, proper, in John Wimber's church, the donuts are round, but they have a hole in the middle. <laughs> perfectly serious. So I'm glad to say that you've got the right donuts, not the wrong donuts. So you are kosher vineyard. But you see, despite all that and the welcome, that speaks of welcome. That speaks of, that table back there says to people who are brand new, we were expecting you and we want to welcome you. And here's a non-healthy way of doing so. <laughs> Let's kill you on your way in. <laughs> do, do you see what I mean? But you, do you see, that immediately is attractive. It's, it's like you make a statement. Whether or not they eat the stuff doesn't matter two hoots. And avoid the melon. You can go for the donut. But, but the, do you see, the point there is we're, we're welcoming you. We want to, you're, what you're saying is we've found something and we, we'd love you to join in and share it with. We're not above you. We're not better than you. You're just welcomed. Now, think what you could do, as Eleanor said, with churches like this all over the peninsula. Ordinary people. Yeah, we're dead ordinary. Yep, we come from Cornwall. We're well, we come from Devon and we're dead ordinary. So join the club. And God chooses to use you. That's the beauty of this. Paul says, I came, and here's an important point. Paul says, I came as a weak messenger. I'm getting signals, by the way. I'm not looking now <laughs> because I'm getting nonverbal signals. Do you see? From the, the, both the calorie police and now the sermon length police. So I'm not looking. And I'm going to carry on whilst I can feel it eyes boring into my soul. <laughs> I came to you. Now, here's the thing you'll love. Here's the thing that'll encourage you. You say, I'm ordinary. Yes, but I'm also weak. Right. I came to you in weakness and fear. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. I, Paul says, I, Paul. Now, when you think of Paul, you think of sort of, who is the fellow who used to wear, go around with in a suit and then when there was an emergency, he'd find a telephone kiosk booth and put, put on pajamas and a, and a Superman. Superman, that's it. Superman, Superman. And many people think that's how we operate. You know, we're just ordinary people, and then God wants us to do a job, you know, pray for somebody who's sick or introduce somebody to Jesus. You think, well, you look around for, you, you look around for, for Nathan, and he's not there at the time. So you look around for a telephone kiosk. So you go in there and you come out super strong and you, you, know, you do what it is. Yes. It doesn't work like that, does it? And it didn't for Paul. That's the point. I'm weak and trembling. I came in weakness and fear with much trembling. What was the trembling? Was it the Holy Spirit on him? Possibly. You know the reason that preachers wear trousers? So you can't see our knees when they're knocking. You never wear a kilt or a skirt. Because you could see the, knobbling, the, the wobbling knees. That's the norm. The default is to feel weak. If you feel strong, I forgive me, but you're disqualified. Just leave. Just, just, just slink out. But if you're weak, it's the very thing that qualifies you. 
So hang on, just check. I know I've gone on for far too long. Just check. Just check you've got a pulse. Will you? You're still alive at the end of this boring, droning sermon. If you, I'm not a doctor, but there's one sitting here. If you've, if you've got a pulse, that means you're alive. Number one, you're alive. Number two, you love Jesus. The only other thing, Paul says, that qualifies you to do this stuff and to be extraordinary and to be a somebody, the only other thing other than having a pulse, being alive, loving Jesus, the only other qualification you require is thirdly to be weak. That's all you need. That's it. You sure? No other, nothing else up your sleep? Nope. That's it. Be alive, love Jesus, and be weak. And you and I hate it. We've had, personally, the two of us, the last 18 months, we've had the probably, in terms of pain and anguish, we've had the, I'm going to cry, we've had the most difficult season of our entire lives. And, well, extremely happily married, by the way, just in case you're worried. But it's been, for all sorts of reasons, it's been extremely, extremely painful. And goodness me, we've never felt weaker, right? And God works. This is sort of, I don't understand it. But it's, I, I could tell you from the bottom of my heart, this stuff works. This really works. This is the truth. You don't need to look any further than this. Now, now I will submit to the boring eyes. <laughs> this great hole that has been burnt. Forgive me. Why did you stand up and we pray? I never did ask, actually, how long you wanted me to speak for, fortunately. <laughs> fortunately. So if I'd been naughty, I've done it in sheer ignorance. Spirit of God, come upon us. You've been with us all morning. Spirit of God's been resting on you a lot all morning. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Cause the truth from the scriptures to, to well, bore and bury itself in our beings. truth that in our weakness you're strong you went to just breathtaking astonishing lengths having chosen us you went to astonishing lengths save us we thank you, Lord. We never thank you enough, but we thank you again. And thank you for choosing us. It's, it humbles us. It doesn't make us proud or presumptuous. It just humbles us, Lord, and causes gratitude to spill out. Lord, and do it. You've done it to us. Do it to us. Others in this city, others in this county, others in this peninsula, the rest of the country, around the world.
fill us anew, Lord, today with your Holy Spirit and with wisdom and power we need to do what you've called us to do. And give us fun while we do it. Bless us, Lord. Keep us united. Thank you for the difference. Thank you for the differences that are reflected in this room. I thank you, Lord, for the the churches in this part of the world, and especially this morning in this context, we thank you for the vineyard. Lord, what you've given to us, will you give to them and multiply it in the, in the transition? <laughs> May the most wonderful and fruitful and glorious years be ahead of us, certainly not behind us. And Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on us in such a way that as we go out, it will be with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. You're on these people already, anointing them and equipping them to go out and do this stuff. And Lord, we know that we're weak. We know that we can't do this on our own. We know that we are powerless, but we have the goods in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that the men and women and indeed the children of this church and the church in Truro, any churches, may go out to these streets. Because the truth is that all the people we know who do not have Christ are without hope in the world. And we have that hope. And God, I pray that we would be a people that go to the bus stops, go to the checkouts, go to the school gates, go to college rooms, wherever we go, most naturally, pray for people. Just this week, we were at a, at a, a party, and, and twice, I just got to pray for people at the party. It is so cool that it would become our habit to watch out and to hear the Lord prompting us and then go to people and say, may I pray for you? We need to be a people and a church that do that naturally wherever we are. And all these young people, all these students, Lord, the generation of students who are desperate for Jesus. And we have the goods, people. We know that we're weak, but we know who is strong. We know we may sound foolish, but we know where wisdom comes from. And Lord, I pray for an anointing of your Holy Spirit on the men and women in this room right now, that you would equip them for works of service. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray for wisdom, for discernment, for words of knowledge about the people that we mix with, for faith, the working of miracles, the power to heal the sick. God, pour out your spirit on us. Give us the power to heal people that are sick. We have it at our disposal, people. And for prophetic words and insights, to be able to go to somebody that you're sitting next to in a glass and say, look, how are, how are you? Do you, know, I, I, you may think me mad, but I am a Christian. And do you know, I feel God wants to say to you, da-da-da-da-da. Take risks, people. What, what have we got to lose? We have everything to gain. There are souls to be won. 
There are demons to be sent packing. There are bodies to be healed, lives to be restored, marriages to be given hope, parents to be given strength. So, Lord, come on the church that we may be everything you ever wanted us to be. I think there are one or two people here who are, may I do this, who are struggling with physical things. Is that right? Um, is that all right, boss? Um, I think there's somebody struggling with sciatica. I think there's somebody who has problems with skin complaint. I don't know if it's, you'll know what it is. Psoriasis, yes, rosacea, psoriasis, is it another one? Um, and I think there's somebody who's struggling with bright lights. They can't, with their sight that gets disturbed uh, with light that is too bright. And I think there are also people, I don't know whether it's related, who are wanting enlightenment for their future and are asking the Lord to make his way plain. And you need us to pray for you people. And there are others of you who simply want to be equipped to do the things that Jesus wants you to do in your day, in your time, in your town.